This morning's reading is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1 to 15. There is no need for me to write to you about this service to the saints, for I know your eagerness to help, and I have been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since you were in Archaea, you were ready to give, and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I am sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready, as I said you would be. For if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we not to say anything about you would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought, if necessary, to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you have promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as one given grudgingly. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided to give in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the need of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions and thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity in sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks to God for his indescribable gift. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, everyone. Please do have a seat. Uh, One of my friends, uh, in fact, uh, some of you will have met him. He came and uh, spoke here last uh, September. Um, But one of Ramsey's favourite all-time books is called uh, Watching the English. It's by a British woman called Kate Fox. I don't know if uh, any of you have come across it. In it, she writes uh, about the strange habits uh, of us English uh, and the sort of, well, she does it in a funny and and light-hearted manner. For example, she conducts some research. She deliberately goes out into the street and and deliberately bumps into other people to see if they will apologise to her. (laughs) You know, know, the sort of thing, needless to say, most, most do. One topic she writes about is money. And she writes this. I find uh, that the times and places considered appropriate for money talk in English culture are few and far between, and that a degree of squeamishness and embarrassment about money is common even in those situations which are regarded as appropriate. I hope this is one of those occasions that's regarded as appropriate. Anyway, she goes on to, um, to quote an American uh, giving advice to anyone who is doing business in, in the UK. Uh, she writes this. It is best to do all financial negotiation in letters or emails. 
The English just can't talk about money face to face. You have to do it in writing. Uh, she also describes amusing descriptions of what happens when um, uh, foreigners ask someone who is English how much they earn. You know, so uh, if you're not English and you ask us English people here how much we earn, um, you may see us uh, feel a little bit un- uneasy. She concludes that there is a, a deep-seated but utterly irrational distaste for money talk of any kind. That leads us to becoming tongue-tied and uncomfortable Some of us cower in embarrassment by joking, some by adopting a blustering, forthright, even aggressive manner. Uh, You will not often see an English person entirely at ease when obliged to engage in money talk. Well, look, um, (laughs) if any of that is true, then you may well have been finding the last couple of weeks uh, a little bit um, uncomfortable. Uh, And it's likely, actually, that you may feel the same (laughs) about today. But this is where the Lord um, has led us. It's uh, it's what he requires of us to think about uh, these things. Uh, We're continuing our trek through uh, 2 Corinthians. um, And and this is uh, still in the passage that we're going to look at today, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9. Money and our attitude to it uh, are what this section of the book is all about. Uh, if you are visiting with us this morning and um, uh, this isn't your church or you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, then, then, then please, I, I would say, uh, look on from the side at what we discuss. You know, that we're not sort of, I'm not talking directly to you. This, this, this doesn't apply uh, to you in, in quite uh, the same way. If you're visiting from another church, you might uh, want to think about uh, how your church uh, deals with the topic of money and maybe speaks on, on this topic uh, from, from time to time. But regardless, we hope uh, that as you look on, um, uh, you will see something of what motivates Christians uh, with regard to their money. And look, I'll do my best not to to make it too awkward or too uh, painful, Uh, but it is a matter of faithfulness to Jesus that Christians take seriously what his word says, not least in this area. So, with great excitement, I can see look, these Bibles are open in front of you. We have them in the pews. So, uh, if you haven't grab, re-grabbed your Bible uh, after Andrew read it, read it, please do. We're going to back to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, and as you do that, let me pray, uh, let me pray for us. <clears throat> Father, we do ask that uh, this morning you would speak uh, clearly to each one of us here, um, through your word, uh, by the power of your spirit. Uh, Help us to see things um, that some of us may not have seen before. Uh, Help us to see things for the first time. Uh, And regardless of where we are at, uh, would you please not allow uh, any one of us to leave uh, having heard from you and encountered you. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's deal with the embarrassment head on, okay? What I want you to do is I want you to think back to the last time uh, that you gave some money to the church. So it could have been um, some money actually physically in, in, in the plate as you, as you left, left the building. Uh, it could have been as you, as you did some online banking, you know, you, 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 you filled that out, you, you set up a, a standing order or you gave a one-off gift. Uh, it might even have been, you know, one of those um, archaic prehistoric forms of uh, giving now where you used a check. You know, do you remember those things? You, you actually write, <laughs> we still got them, yes, you can still use them. But think back to when you last gave to the church. And the question I, I, I want to ask is, how did it feel? 
What, what, how did it feel as, as you gave? What were you thinking about? What thoughts went through your mind as you did that? Maybe you gave with a degree of reluctance. You know, the sort of, oh, do they think I'm made of money? <laughs> um, I can't believe they're preaching on it again. It's three weeks in a row now. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I, I, I just feel like I, I need to give. Uh, if I give it, then maybe stop talking about it and we, we can get on. Maybe there was just a, a sense of reluctance. And maybe there was a sense of guilt as you, uh, as you gave. You know, you, you thought, actually, the last time I wanted to give, I, I couldn't give, and, and so this time um, uh, I, 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 I think I really should, because money was tight last time, you know, and, 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 I, and I didn't, that, that new extension needed paying for, then there was Christmas, there's been COVID, um, you know, and uh, I, just haven't, I just need to get around to it now, I just feel a bit guilty that I haven't, I haven't given anything. Or maybe you gave gladly, you know, uh, and you were thinking, gosh, isn't it great how, how God has blessed me uh, with, with, with these financial resources and I'm just looking to sort of, you know, redistribute some of this. I just want to, I want to think about where God might take this money and what he might do with it next. Of course, if we're honest, the truth is there's a little bit of, of all of that going on in our thinking, isn't there? A little bit of a, of a mixture of, of everything. When it comes to how we steward the financial resources that God has uh, entrusted to us, there are many mixed thoughts that go through our minds. Uh, there are many uncomfortable questions <laughs> that, that might crop up. Different, different thoughts and, and, and motives even. Lord, if I respond generously and sacrificially, will I have enough for my future needs? Lord, if I don't plan and save and put some aside for a rainy day, then I'm actually being irresponsible and I may even be one of those who becomes a person in need and a burden to others. And you wouldn't want that, would you, Lord? And if I give now, you know, how am I going to afford that, that, that next car? You know, the car's on its last legs. How am, I going to, how am I going to get, oh, you know, the computer. You know, I've been putting this money aside for a new computer uh, or whatever it is, the next, whatever it is. And the truth is that we simply can't avoid the fact that when it comes to our giving, one of the big things that matters is what's motivating us inside. What is it that's motivating us that's causing all these different questions and thoughts to go through our minds? Well, I think Paul knows this. Uh, He gets it. And the the next few verses that we're going to spend a little bit of time um, looking at, we'll see him give, uh, give some advice to the Corinthians. So <clears throat> he's going to give them a principle, uh, he's going to give them a contrast, <clears throat> and then he's going to give them six promises from God about giving. So that's what we're going to look at uh, uh, this morning. <clears throat> as we grapple, as maybe the Corinthians grappled with thoughts, questions, and mixed motives. So first, the principle. The principle is this, the more you give, the more you get. <clears throat> The more you give, the more you get. Now, I can sense it straight away. You're feeling a little bit uneasy, a little bit uncomfortable. That's, that's fine. <laughs> that's good. You know, you're thinking, John, that sounds an awfully lot like the prosperity gospel. Well, it does. But just take a look at uh, verse um, uh, six, uh, is that six or eight. I can't read. Um, anyway, uh, the bit that begins, remember this, of, of chapter nine. Six, thank you. <laughs> I went for my eye test this week, so some glasses are on order. <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, verse, uh, verse 6. Remember this, Paul says, whoever sows sparingly 
will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. <clears throat> Seems pretty clear, doesn't it? The more you give, uh, the more you get. But that's not, as Paul is going to go on and make clear, so that we can get to feather our own nest, uh, so that we can get to hoard, so that we can get to, be, uh, to, be, to live extravagantly in, 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 our, in our own lives. Rather, it's actually so that in turn, we can get to give more. We'll come on to that in a bit, but for now, just note the principle, the more you give, the more you get. Clearly, that's true in farming, from which this, this um, a, a, analogy, this, this, this picture is, is given. You know, if you've got one seed and you put that one seed in one pot, then you may get one thing back from it. But if you've got loads of seed and you go out into your field and you throw that seed everywhere, you're going to get a lot back, aren't you? So the more you give, the more you get. We see the same principle in other areas, too. I have never made it to the top of Snowden yet, the right way, okay? <laughs> I've not. Uh, a few years ago, we, we went as a family. We had a family holiday there, and uh, all members of the family were represented. And so to enable not just the junior ones, but, but some, maybe some of the more senior members of the family uh, to get to the top, we cheated and uh, we, took, we took the train. I was, oh, I, it just went against everything. in my So there I was at the top of the mountain, enjoying the view, well, what we could see of the view, um, but it didn't feel right. You know, if I'd have walked, if I'd have sweated, if I'd have scrambled a little bit, then the effort that I'd have put in, the more I put in, the more I would have got out of that view um, at the top of the mountain. We see it in other areas, uh, uh, too. Um, you know, consider the work that goes into creating a piece of art. Uh, some music. Uh, consider it if, if you like being in the kitchen when you're cooking and, and what goes into to making a meal. Doing a recipe. Or if you're sporty, you know, the, the practice that goes into different shots or, you know, defensive strokes or the swing in golf or, or the, the shot in tennis, whatever it might be. Your reward is directly proportional to your effort. The more you put in, the more you get out. It's also true, isn't it, with relationships? The more we put into our relationships with our friends, our mates, if you're married with a husband or a wife, then the greater the stronger that friendship, the greater the stronger that relationship. And money is no exception to these examples. This is the point that Paul is making. The more you give, the more you get. John Bunyan, author of Pilgrim's Progress, wrote this. He said, a man there was and they called him mad. The more he gave, the more he had. <laughs> of course, Bunyan was writing as a Christian. And in the world's eyes, that principle makes no sense. Only for the Christian who gets that true worth is ultimately spiritual does this make sense. So this is the principle we begin with. Uh, the more you give, the more you get. Secondly, in these verses, we see Paul offer a contrast. <clears throat> and the contrast is two ways to give. So take a look at verse 7. Verse 7 says this, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Or look at verse 5 as well. Go back to verse 5. As you have a look at verse 5, what's the word there that Paul uh, uses to describe the attitude 
uh, of how he doesn't want the gifts to be given. What word does he use at the, at the end, of, uh, end of verse 5? Again, this is, audience, this is our audience participation time, okay? So anyone to shout it out? What's the word? Grudgingly. He says, don't, don't do it grudgingly. So the, the first way to give is, we could say, is, is reluctantly, it's resentfully, it's grudgingly. That's the first sort of way. Uh, the story is told of uh, the Franks under Charlemagne. I don't know if you've heard this story before. Apparently, his soldiers would often um, be baptized en masse. Um, and so they would go down into the river. They would take the plunge, many of them at the same time. Uh, but one source reports that, uh, that, that there was something unusual about these, about these baptisms. So they, they didn't just go down and, and, and sort of all baptize, but they would hold one hand out of the water as they were baptized. So all of their body, apart from the hand, was baptized. The reasoning behind that was, well, this was the hand that was going to hold the sword that would swing and would kill people, and they didn't want that one baptized. They didn't want that part of their body baptized. They wanted to be free to kill whoever they needed to, be, to, to, to kill. Well, the comparison is made that today a lot of Christians can actually do something similar. Not with a physical sword, but we enter the Christian life with this metaphorical hand raised uh, above baptism. And we're not holding a sword. But the point is made, are we holding our wallets? You can have everything else, Lord. But my money? Well, let, let me decide how I'm going to spend, uh, spend that and what I'm going to do with that. So this is one way that Christians can give reluctantly. What's the other way? Take a look uh, towards, the, uh, towards the end of verse 7, um, and uh, what's the word that's used there at the end of, uh, end of verse 7? What's the, what's the contrast? Cheerfully. So we've got this contrast between reluctance and cheerfulness. God loves a cheerful giver, Paul says. Uh, cheerful, willing, uh, generous giving, uh, that's what God loves. Now, we're aware that there are costs and sacrifices, aren't we? That they're real enough, but we realise that they are far outweighed by the spiritual return that comes from that giving. So, how do we know then if we are reluctant <laughs> or cheerful givers? How, how, do, how do we know that? Well, one way is to consider what, what motivates us, what makes us give. The reluctant giver is often compelled to give through pressure. Or through guilt. So take, for example, how I began the sermon last week. If you were here, uh, you may not remember, so let me just uh, remind you. But I began by quoting some of the the words that Luke records Jesus says, some quite hard words that um, Luke records Jesus says about the rich. And then I followed, uh, I followed that up by giving uh, some quite stark statistics about our comparative wealth compared to the rest of the world. Uh, I don't know if you remember that. Now, I was acutely aware that I was treading this fine line, okay, as I did that, between, between motivation, uh, sort of on the one hand, and, 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 and sort of manipulation or, or gentle encouragement on the, on, on the other. That's a fine line to tread. I was acutely, um, acutely aware of that. But at the end of the day, I was trusting uh, that the Holy Spirit would do his work in our hearts. As, as, as we heard those. Now, those of us who, and I include myself here, <laughs> okay, but those of us um, who heard that challenge and interpreted that challenge as, as pressure uh, are more at risk, I think, and I include myself in this when I hear similar things. Oh, I feel pressured in it. 
I think we're the ones that are more at risk of giving reluctantly. Do you know what I mean? In comparison, those of us who heard that challenge and saw the importance of perspective uh, and the immensely privileged position that we are in financially compared with most people throughout, actually throughout most of time, not just throughout the world now, but most people throughout most of time, I think those people saw that challenge, were motivated, they were reminded that deep down they wanted to be generous to God's work. I think if that was you, you're probably those that are, are, are more inclined towards cheerful and, and, and to be cheerful givers. But here's the thing, you know, you're not always just one or the other, are we? We're not always just one, we don't always just give reluctantly or always just give cheerfully. We, we, are, a, we are a mix of the two, we ebb and flow between these things. Sometimes we feel stronger, sometimes we feel weaker. And you see here, both types of giving, actually, are important for God's work. I'm learning on this. I think in the past, I, I used to think that, you know, you know, God would say, well, you know, if, if you can't give cheerfully and you're going to give reluctantly, it's better that you don't give at all. But I don't think that's what's going on here with Paul. Because all sorts of gifts are used for the furtherance of the kingdom and the gospel. But clearly something is going on in the difference of how we give between us and God. And so on the one hand, whether you give reluctantly or generously, whether we do that, our giving is still important. But on the other hand, only one type of giving comes with the blessing of God's favor and comes with his continued sort of spiritual benefit. So, Paul does not seek to manipulate people through, uh, to give through guilt. And, and, and neither, you know, that is not Mike's heart when he's preaching. It is not my heart when we're preaching on this difficult topic. Please, please understand that. And so if you, you know, I would ask you that if you, if you sense that from us, <laughs> that you would give us the benefit of the doubt. You know, we are not here to, 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 to manipulate and, and play with those feelings of, of guilt and reluctance at all. But we do want to encourage us to think about our motivations. And, you know, the way Paul does this, he doesn't tell the Corinthians actually here how bad they are. He does do that in other places for other reasons. You know, you pull your socks up, sort this out, what's going on here. He doesn't do that here, though. He actually tells them how good they are, how great they've been. You know, we look around this church and, and, and you, you know, you think about the, the, the fruits of your, our collective giving. And how you have responded with generosity, it's fantastic. And so that's the sort of motivation that we, you know, we keep on giving in, in that vein. You know, your giving that has enabled the, 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 the role that I am to be here, that for, for Lewis to be here. Your giving that goes out to, to, to mission work across, across the world. You're giving when there's been specific needs, you know, whether it's needs of, you know, the, to, to look after the facilities, a, a roof or whatever it is, and work that needs to be done has been exceedingly generous. And notice, though, here how this cheerful, um, positive way of, of giving, how Paul is, is talking about this. Although we do this collectively as a church, it's actually a matter for the individual. He says in verse uh, 7, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give. It will be the result of a conscious, clear decision of the mind and will. We have to decide in our hearts. But this decision about what we do with the money God has entrusted uh, to us will actually be the result of a much deeper 
decision, a decision about how we give our whole lives in the service of God and in the service of each other, in the service of his people. In other words, what we decide to do with our, inverted commas, uh, money, depends on our response to the gospel. So just take a look down at verse um, 13. Paul writes this, because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ. Men will praise God because of the obedience that accompanies your profession of the gospel of Christ, confession of it. So if we give faithfully and cheerfully as a gospel response, more people will end up praising God, which is great. Let me tell you about a man who saw it uh, one such way. Some of you will know about the um, 18th century evangelical leaders who were influential in a Christian revival in this nation. It then spread out um, uh, uh, across the world to touch the world. One of the often overlooked aspects of that, though, was how radical their discipleship was, those, those evangelical leaders in the 18th century, in terms of their giving, in terms of their money. You may be familiar with John Wesley's great advice that's often quoted because he urged uh, Christians to, to earn all they can, to save all they can, and then give all they can. You may be familiar with that, to earn, to earn all we can by rightful means, by hard work, uh, w- without harming others. And then to save all we can by avoiding extravagance and, and needless expense. Earn, save in order to give, to give all you can, not by limiting yourself to a proportion or a, a percentage. Earn, save, give. Simple, hard, but simple, profound advice. But what is less well known about him is the extent to which Wesley lived out his own teaching. And he said this, he said, I value all things only by the price that they shall gain in eternity. I value all things only by the price that they shall gain in eternity. He believed that uh, more income should mean more cheerful giving. He didn't believe that more income should equal an increased standard of living. And so he began a practice at university. He set himself the task of just living by the same standard of living throughout his his life. And uh, he continued it through through his life. One year, his income was slightly over £1,400. Okay, it doesn't sound very much. I did some quick calculations online, so I think this is about right, but his income was around uh, the equivalent of around £200,000 today. So he, he, his income was slightly over 1400 200 equivalent. He gave away all but £30 of it. He lived on £30. He earned 200000 equivalent. He just kept 5000 for himself. That's what he lived off one year. When he died in 1791, the only money mentioned in his will was the, uh, just, were just the odd coins that he had left sort of around the house or in his pockets, literally. Most of the £30,000, about £4 million equivalent, if I've got this right, I may be slightly out there, but it was a quick comparison. Most of that £30,000 he had earned in his lifetime, he had generously and he had cheerfully given away because he'd kept the same standard of living throughout his life. First then, um, a principle, the more you give, the more you get. Second, this contrast, there are two ways to live, uh, two ways to give, reluctantly um, and cheerfully. Both are Christian responses. As I say, Paul is is talking to Christians here who give in both ways. But let's look now at these promises. Thirdly, at God's promises to cheerful givers. Because when we give willingly and when we give cheerfully, what we have decided in our hearts to give, not under pressure, not under compulsion, 
not out of guilt, then the Lord promises that he's going to do marvelous things. So we're going to see six in these verses. Let's go through them relatively quickly. First of all, God promises cheerful givers more seed. (laughs) Or as one of my former vicars put it, um, he called it this, the heavenly gift aid principle. Um, So you'll know that uh, uh, the gift aid forms that we fill out for the tax man, if we pay tax, if we're in a position where we can pay tax, uh, they're a very good thing because they increase the value of our our gift by 25%. uh, So please, if you give to this church and you pay tax and you haven't filled one of those forms out, uh, do fill it out. It's a no-brainer. It doesn't cost you you anything. But it it gives the church 25% more seed, if you like, uh, to to use. But that is nothing uh, to what God does. Take a look at verse 10. Have a look at verse 10 of chapter chapter 9. It says this, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply... And increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Now what we give is from God anyway. We, we know that. We, know, we, we looked at that principle uh, a little bit last week. But the wonderful truth is here that when we give, he pours more in, if you like. So a well-known th- philanthropist was asked this. He says, how is it you can, you can um, give away so much and yet you always seem to have so much left over? <laughs> How can you do that? And his response uh, was this. He said, I suppose it's like this. He says, I shovel it out, and and God shovels it in. It's just that God has got a much bigger shovel. (laughs) That's what he said. Now, again, let's return to to the motivation and the prosperity gospel here, all right? Because to be clear, the prosperity gospel is a false gospel. It says that you deserve health and you deserve wealth and you will get it if you live a certain way and you do certain things in this life. Uh, And the more faithful and the more obedient uh, that you are to Jesus, the more you will be healthy now, the more you will be wealthy now, you deserve it, obey. That's not what Jesus teaches. It's not what Paul teaches in, in Scripture. The promise of more seed here is not so that we can enjoy a lavish um, lifestyle in the here and now. Paul compares money to seed precisely to show that it is useless unless it is sown. It is useless unless you lose it. You give it away. You sow it. It goes from us. It dies in that sense before it comes into new life. You've got to lose it for there to be a return. It's the difference between giving in order to get for myself, if you like, on the one hand, and giving as a heartfelt response that gets in order to allow that heartfelt response to give even more. We must not buy into this lie that an above, um, uh, above average income means that we must have an above average uh, uh, standard of living or an above average lifestyle. I think it was John Piper who said this, God has made us to be conduits of his grace, not cul-de-sacs. It doesn't come into us so we can store it up and it never goes out. We are to be conduits of his grace. The danger is in thinking that the conduit should be lined with gold. Copper will do. Doesn't need to be lined with gold. So that's the, uh, the first promise there, more, more seed. Secondly, God promises to provide what we need. This is verse 8. Uh, God, will, God will ensure, he says in, in, in verse 8, uh, God will ensure that in all things 
at all times, you will have all that you need. You won't go short. I heard of one man as a solicitor uh, down south. He used to give a tenth of everything uh, that he, 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 he got. Half to his church, half went to other Christian, uh, ch- Christian charities and organizations. But then he suffered two major setbacks. Uh, first, he was made redundant, and then uh, he lost an awful lot of money uh, through poor investments. And this is what he said in the face of an uncertain future. He said this, We do not believe in a pain-free God. I have faith that God will direct me to a new future. And meanwhile, I continue to give to him what I can, although I am having to be very careful indeed now over my personal expenditure, and there is virtually no money left over to give back. So I have increased the time that I give to him. It's not just money we're talking about here when we talk about giving. I have increased the time I give to him. I think my relationship with God has drawn closer while I have suffered, and I have come to appreciate more and more what God has done for me. That is a great blessing, he says. God will give us what we need. It may not be what we want, but he will give us what we need always for his glory and for our ultimate good. It may be hard to see in the here and now, but he will give us the promises that he will give us what we need. Thirdly, God promises to give cheerful givers um, all that we need so that we will abound in doing good work. So this is uh, still in, in verse 8. If you, if you look in um, verse 8, And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. See, cheerful givers um, just, just love and desire to see God's work being done. And here is the promise that, that God's work done in God's way will never lack God's resources, will it? God meets our needs in order that we can be even more generous. Have a look at verse 11. Go down to, to, uh, to verse 11, which says this. You will be made rich in every way. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. This is why God has made us rich, church. This is why God has made us rich, so that we can be generous on every occasion. Fourthly, uh, all this cheerful giving results in the promise of a harvest of righteousness. A harvest of righteousness. This is verse 10, um, which says this, Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. The result of, of giving to God, however large or however small the gift is in monetary terms, is that the needs of God's people are met and the money is transformed into a spiritual, into a moral, into an, an eternal harvest, if you like. And I'm sure you've heard people say this. You've heard people say uh, that, that we should spend our money now because you know, we can't take it with us when we die. Have you come across that, 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 that sort of sentiment, that, that thought? Spend it now. We can't take it with us when we die. I've come to realize that's absolute rubbish. 
We can take it with us when we die. It's just that first, we've got to convert it into the currency of heaven. And we convert it into the currency of heaven by giving it back to God and seeing him deliver on the promise of a harvest of righteousness. It's what he's promised to do. And again, look, the amount doesn't matter. It's the cheerfulness. It's the willingness of the giver, the the motivation that does matter. So, for example, some years ago, a certain woman uh, was preparing a box to be sent to some missionaries in India. I guess not unlike we do our shoebox, uh, you know, the, the shoebox appeal things that we do from time to time. Um, a child gave this woman a penny, and that woman used the penny to buy a tract, and she put that tract in the box that was going uh, to, to, to these missionaries. The box eventually found its way to a Burmese chief, and he read that tract. And it led him to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. The chief then told the story of his conversion to his mates, to his friends. And they, in turn, were saved. Eventually, a church was established with 1,500 members. It's astonishing, isn't it? From one penny, one tract. That is a harvest of righteousness. From very little in in financial terms. Imagine what God (laughs) wants to do and will do through more. Fifthly, cheerful giving results in thanksgiving and glory to God. He will get the glory. So if we look at the end of uh, verse 11 through to to verse uh, 12, um, it says, Through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform not only... Um, is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God because of the service by which you have proved yourselves. Men will praise God. He will get the glory. What a promise. We benefit and God gets the glory. We must move on. Sixthly, uh, finally, cheerful giving results in, in friendship. It results in friendship to the giver. So as we give, we, 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 we have the benefit of friendship. The, the, these benefits just seem to keep on coming, don't they? See, all that thankfulness, all that praise that goes to God somehow rebounds. It bounces back uh, to, 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 to the giver. Uh, so if you look at verse 14 and, and 15, getting to the end of the, end of the passage now, um, uh, Paul writes this. Um, and in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you. Because of the surpassing grace God has given you, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. This is one of those uh, lovely Holy Spirit spin-offs, if you like. You know, one example of this, I think, is, is, is in our relationships with the missionaries we support, for example. So when you give to a missionary, um, uh, you, you, get, you, you, you give them some money, you, you, we get to know them, don't we? We have the prayer letters, we, 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 they, sometimes they visit, so, so we get to know them personally as well. We invest in, 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 in their, their lives and, and, and in and relationship. There's this friendship, this affinity, this closeness, um, this love that results between those two parties or if it's not a missionary just think of when you have been in a position to bless someone else and you have given some money it's enabled them to to maybe have a holiday that they couldn't have had or or get a, a, a car or their car fixed that was broken and there's this affinity that comes you get a thank you card a thank you note but there's more to it than that this friendship it's it's beautiful gospel community and if we build up this habit of giving then affection and prayer come our way 
from those who benefit from our generosity. It's amazing stuff, this. Uh, it's what God promises to the cheerful giver, these six things. He promises to multiply what we give. He promises enough of everything to meet all of our needs, all of our needs. He promises enough of, uh, for everything, for the gospel work that he wants us to do together, this good work that he wants us to do. He promises that there will be a harvest of righteousness. He promises that he's going to get the glory, not us. And he promises, though, that when we give, we will be blessed as he gets the glory. And so Paul sums it up beautifully in verse 15. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. And you may be thinking, hmm, is Paul talking about the money here, the gift, or is he talking about Jesus? I think it's both, actually. I think there's an argument to be made for both. Because what we do with our wallets and our purses, a bit like those soldiers, it can, that cannot be considered in isolation to the rest of our, our discipleship. We dare not go through life, do we, singing, take my life, Lord, let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. We can't go through life singing that, saying that, believing that, while at the same time holding the wallets up here, using the money as we see fit extravagantly, using it unnecessarily on ourselves. We dare not go through life with this, it's mine, I earned it kind of attitude, do we? So Paul is talking about money and our attitude. But remember, though, that the supreme, the supreme example of all that Paul is speaking about here is Jesus. It's Jesus. He sowed his very life. He sowed his life, didn't he, for us, by dying for us. And if you just look back to verse uh, 9 of chapter 8, to go back a chapter, just go back to to, um, verse 9 of of chapter 8. We looked at this two, uh, two, two weeks ago now. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. We are not talking bank balances here. We're talking about life. Jesus gave himself up to death on the cross so that we could have the riches of eternal life. That is God's greatest gift to us that Paul finds so hard to describe. (laughs) It is indescribable in many ways. Jesus is the supreme example of this seed sowing, not under compulsion, Jesus didn't do that under compulsion. He didn't do it um, uh, 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 reluctantly or begrudgingly, but willingly and out of love. Church, may we be empowered to live all of our lives in a similar way. Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for what you have been teaching us um, over these last few weeks um, about money and our motivation uh, and, and, and how we give. Lord, we recognize that we come before you a mixed bag, 
Often there are so many thoughts and questions that go through our minds. But Lord, we pray that you would help us to more and more be cheerful givers. Givers who give not under pressure, not reluctantly and not begrudgingly, but we give carefully, considering this matter in our hearts and seeking for your leading. Lord, we long for you to get the glory. We long for your kingdom to grow. And so show us where to sow this seed that you have so generously provided for us that we want to give back to you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.